Do you want to go down to a 40-hour week without losing revenue? If you're ready to let go of all the extra hours, the stress, the overwhelm, and the clients who hijack your time, consider my signature program, Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind. In it, we'll get your accounting practice under control. We'll fix your pricing problems. I'll show you ways to price so you stop giving away the farm so you bring in more revenue for the work you're already doing. I'll help you disengage the clients who are good people but are holding your business back and slowing you down. I'll help you package up your services and design them so they're easy for your clients to understand and choose from while helping you simplify and standardize what you sell. And we'll focus on making your messaging more interesting and compelling so you attract more of the kinds of clients you want to work with and break out of the hodgepodge of referrals trap. We get your prices up, we get your workload down. We standardize, we simplify, we streamline. And we do this at a pace that feels doable, where you feel confident in every choice you make. Prices up, workload down. Registration is open now. We start Tuesday, May 7th. Come with us. Go to GeraldineCarter.com to find out more. He went to the clients and he just said, look it, I know the previous owner did it for this. I can't do it for that. I'm going to do it for this. And sometimes it was three times what the previous pricing was. But here's what you'll get with me. So I've got a process. You'll have this, 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 and this. Clients weren't even unhappy. They were actually happy. The thing was they knew they had been underpaying. But if they know they're underpaying, they're not going to come to you and go, you know, you're not charging me enough. Welcome to the Business Strategy for CPAs podcast, where I help overworked CPAs go down to 40 hours without giving up revenue. My name is Geraldine Carter. My guest today is Brandon Poe. Brandon, welcome back to the show. Hi, thank you for having me back. Glad to be here. Glad to talk to you again. So for those who don't know, tell us who you are, where you are, and what you do. I am Brandon Poe. I am a CPA. I'm the founder of Poe Group Advisors, which is a brokerage business focused solely on accounting and CPA firms. I also am the founder of Accounting Practice Academy, which is a virtual eight-week boot camp to build a better practice. And I am headquartered in Charleston, South Carolina, but we operate all over the U.S. and Canada. So I want to dig into a bunch of things today as it relates to selling. And before we get into some more specific questions, one thing is if you want to hear other conversations that I've had with Brandon, they are in the show notes. So be sure to go there and I'll link to them. And before we get into the real weeds here, give us a high level on what you see in terms of the landscape of buying and selling, transacting, accounting firms What's going on now? What's changed since the last time we talked last year? I think the biggest thing that's changed is there's definitely a increase in the focus on the quality of staff oh. in acquisitions. And that makes sense because there's scarcity there. Yeah. The market, the my general observations is the market's pretty stable, um, mm-hmm. similar to the way it was last year. Interest rates are going up, and it'll be interesting to see how that affects this season. I do anticipate there could be some downward price pressure just because of interest rates, similar to anything that you you know, have to have financing to get capital. That does affect the buyer. Um, 
the SBA loans are pretty common for acquisition and those rates are, you know, prime plus three. So as prime goes up, the interest rate goes up. Hopefully that's, hopefully they'll pause and won't keep going up. I don't think they'll go up much more. They may actually come down. So, um, but the nice thing about doing an acquisition is there are a lot of firms that just aren't even taking new clients. So mm -hmm. if you're buying and you lose some clients or you need to grow, it's pretty easy to grow. They're, the clients are out there. Meaning new replacement clients. Replacement clients. So I think the risk of buying is quite low um, because of that, because there's a shortage. Mm -hmm. And there's tons of pricing power. The profession has tons of pricing power. Yes, underutilized, under-optimized. Yeah. yeah, they're not exercised. Yeah, yeah. That's that's kind of my take on the market. There's still increasing comfort and demand with virtual firms. We probably have sold more virtual firms than anyone. We continue to see those multiples increase as the banks are getting more comfortable with those firms. There, there was, I think. Up until a couple of years ago, there was a lot more skepticism on banks on how those would perform when they transitioned to a new ownership. And now they have enough experience to have a little bit more comfort with those firms. That helps. That was the thing that, you know, a lot of times we would sell a cloud firm and we would have a contract at a relatively higher multiple than, say, a traditional firm. And we'd have a problem with the bank valuation. And banks would, you know, kind of scuttle the deal. Because the appraisal would come in lower, if you will. Right, exactly. And, and and or maybe it wasn't the appraisal, but maybe the bank just couldn't get comfortable. And so what I've noticed about banks is if they're not comfortable, they'll find a way out. So the virtual is coming around. Banks are getting more confident in the value or the longevity of the virtual or what have you. What else are you seeing that is driving multiples? We did an interesting study last, I think it was January of 2022. We looked at our deal history and I wanted to know, okay, let's take a look at everything that either didn't close or was on the kind of lower days on the market was longer, you know, like the long deals that were on the market for a long time, longer than most deals. So we, we, took about, I don't know, 10, 15 firms deals that we just analyzed that fit that description. Now, the people that don't close, usually what happens is the seller has a change of heart because we close typically 80, 85% of our deals that we take, we close. And most of the ones that don't close, it's because of that, of, of seller change of heart, or there was some dramatic disruption in the practice that made it less desirable. And so the seller wanted to like fix those things and then come back to market once those things were fixed. But the ones that took forever to sell and maybe sold for lower multiples, we had the, you know, we had typically when something's on the market a long time, you play with the price and you just kind of knock them, knock the asking price down gradually until, until the market responds positively to the price. What was glaringly obvious in this relatively small data set was that practices that had a high number 
of freestanding 1040s or personal tax returns in Canada. They're, they're T2s, I believe. And if you had a high number of those personal returns that were not associated with a business, that's where we saw trouble. And so we started to ask the question, you know, why is that? And now there were exceptions. There are exceptions because there are certain companies that have turned the, the, ten, the personal tax return into a real machine. It, for example, I had a client that had this whole program where they hired students to do all the data entry. They hired students, they had a training program, they did all the data entry, they had reviewers come in seasonally and they priced them, they still priced them well. I have another story about that if, you, if you'd like. I've talked to a CPA that wants to do 50,000 personal tax returns a year. Wow. Yep. So, but we noticed that that, that those hot, for most of those firms, it didn't have a real machine set up. It took us longer to sell the firm. The profitability of the firm tended to be lower. The owner hours tended to be higher and staff turnover tended to be higher. So we saw those correlations and those relationships with that. And we came to the conclusion that if I came to the conclusion, hey, if I owned a firm, I wouldn't take any freestanding 1040, any freestanding personal returns. I would only do personal returns that were related to a business mm -hmm. if it were if I were doing it. Yeah. So that was kind of a big aha. And so that affected how we recommend pricing. So when we see a firm that's got a lot of personal tax, um, our suggestion is if you don't want to sell right away, sell those off, give them away, get out of that business and watch your practice improve and then come back and put it on the market or discount the price of the practice, lower your expectations of what it's going to sell for and let somebody else deal with how they want to handle those returns. One of the things that comes up a lot for folks I work with is, you know, a lot of the classic problems, they're working way too many hours, crazy hours and the money is okay. It's good, but it's not where they want it to be. And really, they just want their lives back. They want a sense of sanity. And they, of course, want to keep making decent money and then eventually grow. But the time is the more important thing. And what they have existing is a firm that has, like you say, the freestanding 1040s, the orphan 1040s. And in order to get out of overworking, we need to create space so that they can work on their business because they're, they tend to be caught working in their business all day, all night. In order to create that space, the most obvious choice is to let go of the orphan 1040s. And oftentimes what they'll say is, you know, I don't want these clients anymore. I understand that I need to let go of them. I understand they need to not be part of my client roster, but it kills me to just disengage them when there's, you know, five or six figures worth of value there. Can I just sell off a tranche? What's your response to that? Unfortunately, there, there's not a big market for that mm. for obvious reasons. Yeah. <laughs> Which is interesting, kind of takes me back to the person I was talking about that wants, wants to create a mach big machine for that. And here's what's really interesting about that is this gentleman sold his CPA practice. He had a pretty good size, high quality firm. He sold it and he's looking at building this model of high volume personal tax where it's going to be outsourced so the, the data entry is going to happen in India or Pakistan. 
there'll be one level of review before it comes back, and then there'll be a level of review in the U.S., and then the return will go out. It'll be highly automated. Software will be a big part of the quality control and preparation piece. Even with that, even with that high-volume approach, he said, I can't make this, the model doesn't work if I'm not charging about four or $500 per return. But that's a high quality product. It is a high quality product. And I, I believe him when he said that, like it's gonna be a good return, but it's I still can't do it for less than $500. So with outsourcing and automation, if, if somebody can't do 50,000 returns and not charge that much, what is that doing to your practice when you're charging 250 for that return? Goodness, I hope you're not charging 250. But there are people that are charging 250. <laughs> there, yes, there are. Yeah, you're right. That's the math. So I think what you're saying is, if you're doing 250 a return or even 395, which is 400, he can't even buy it and turn a profit on it. Right. Like it's a yeah. So you're basically selling if you if you're willing though to sell it at a loss, not a loss. If you're willing to sell it at a fraction of one then he's willing, but don't expect to get over one for, multi for a multiple. Get whatever you can for it. And if you can't get anything for it, then that's, that's, that's a better price than what you're doing now. <laughs> get whatever you can for it. And if you can't get anything, that's a better price than what you're doing now. <laughs> it's costing you money to do those returns. Why don't you open that up a little bit? It's, it's, it's devaluing your practice. It's devaluing your life. Um, you're doing charity work. If you want to do charity work and that and that's your choice then that's there's nothing wrong with that choice mm -hmm. if, if you want to do charity work and i know most cpas really don't mind doing some charity work and that's that's fine but just know that that's what you're doing so there are probably some listeners who are like come on pin him down give me a number i want a multiple so the question is what is a potential multiple that you would get and then what's the revenue that you would get from the sale at whatever multiple, say the multiple is 0.5, and then the question becomes, is it even worth your time and energy to get that amount of money? Yeah, and that's the question. And so what a lot of practitioners do instead is they do pretty big price hikes. But here's the catch. And what I've noticed with our clients that have done this they don't lose nearly as much as they think they're going to lose. Yeah, no, they don't. Price doesn't push people out the way they think it's going to. Yeah, I'll price those out. And they go, they go, okay, I'll go from 250 to $600 and they lose 3% of their returns. Yeah. That's, that's the reality of what happens. Mm -hmm. And people are shocked when that happens. You mean the CPAs are shocked, not the clients. The CPAs are shocked. Right, yeah. right. The, the CPAs are shocked that they haven't lost more. You know, that's a great exercise to go through. Mm -hmm. It goes back to what we were saying about the pricing power. Like if you're not sure how much pricing power you have, take a group of clients that you really feel like is low risk if you did lose them or even if you want to lose them and play around with pricing until they leave. Find the find the line. Where's the line? And I, you're right, though. There are a lot of CPAs that just don't want to do that. And, and if you don't want to do that, then that's fine. If you want to sell, you're going to, you're going to sell for less. That's just the reality. Mm -hmm. I mean, do you think a 0.5 multiple is reasonable in that case? Or you think you're looking at more like 0.2? We haven't found blocks big enough. You know, our minimum fee on a deal is $50,000. So to broker a deal. So we, we don't, 
we don't sell small blocks just because our minimum fee becomes a big obstacle to that. So I don't have a lot of experience selling small blocks of personal tax returns. So I don't feel well qualified to answer that question. My guess is, or my advice is, if you can get 50 cents on the dollar for that block of returns, take it. If you can't get 50 cents, if it's only 25, take it. It's costing you money. Yeah, it's. I mean, the opportunity cost is significant. Yeah. The sad thing is it's going to cost somebody else money if you sell it to them. <laughs> Unless they're starting. Like, I think it's good for someone who's starting and they need experience and they can go up on the fees. And Do you see an opportunity for buyers to spot a a firm that is way underpriced doing the 250 295 a return kind of situation knowing that they that clients aren't nearly as price sensitive as the first owner the current owner thinks buy the practice and increase the prices to more like 750 or 1000 now you're doing three times the revenue on the same clients do are there CPAs who are seeing that as an opportunity or does that still fall into the same not so loved business model of freestanding returns i think there are people that see that we we did a podcast with a, a guy named Jason Ding uh, a few years ago and he bought a practice through us and did just that. It was it was, it was a fixer upper, and the fees were it was underpriced. The fees across the board, not just on personal tax, but everything. He went to the clients and he just said, "Look, it. I know the previous owner did it for this. I can't do it for that. I'm going to do it for this." And sometimes it was three times what the previous pricing was. But here's what you'll get with me. So I've got a process. You'll have this, 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 and this. He, tr- he he grew that business extraordinarily quickly by price increases. He really lost very few clients. Clients weren't even unhappy. They were actually happy. The thing was, they knew they had been underpaying. Yeah. They, they knew. Yeah. But if they know they're underpaying, they're not going to come to you and go, you know, you're not charging me enough. I mean, uh-huh. maybe a couple will. Yep. But they're not going to like you know, write you a bigger check right. unless you ask for it. That, that was, you know, that was a really, I mean, that was a brave thing he did. Uh, he actually has bought two firms from us now. So he got that one to where he wanted it. And then he bought another practice through us. So it's possible. Now, are there a lot of buyers that are, have the courage to do that? Not, not as many as, as I would like. I'd love to have more uh, entrepreneurial business-minded buyers that that had that vision because it's totally doable. So here's a question that came in from one of my clients. He says, because I posed this in our community um, that I was going to be talking to you. He says, I just purchased a firm at 1.15 gross. It's run-of-the-mill, tax-heavy, 510 40s, came with a staff of three. I'm considering making a big switch to focus on a business in a specific niche. As a result, I may want to sell off a lot of the 1040 clients and maybe even some businesses that aren't in the niche. The sale likely wouldn't happen for another couple of years. It would only be the client base that's being sold. No staff, no equipment, no office. How attractive or unattractive would this look in the marketplace? Could I recoup my investment of 1.15 gross on these clients? 
does the shorter turnaround time of buying to selling in just a couple of years, what are the optics on that? They are good. They're good 1040 clients. They just don't fit my future business model. That's an interesting scenario. He's got a lot of questions within that question. I, I think let's, let's talk about the optics of kind of flipping a practice quickly. That is disruptive. I think, you know, if you flip something a year, two years, that might give buyers some concern that the clients have been, they might be a little worn out from the change. The longer you can time will preserve the value more effectively. The strategy though is probably really smart of going to the niche that he wants to go to. Yeah, the, going into the niche, the strategy is sound. And so you've really got to look at the opportunity cost. So don't hold on to something that's going to prevent you from going to the bigger opportunity. If, if you take a loss, it's the sunk cost fallacy, right? Like, yep. yep. Um, you already spent the money. Now don't waste the time and the opportunity to bring in more money. Right, right. Don't let the nickel keep you from getting the dollars. And so I think the strategy is really smart. So you got to really think about the opportunity cost. If the opportunity cost is high, take the loss on the flip. Right, whatever that, whatever that, you know, whatever that does to ding the value of, of those that sale. Um, the biggest challenge is he doesn't want to let any staff go with that book. That's going to really shrink the buyer pool because you've got to find a buyer that has pretty significant capacity to do that work. That's going to be the bigger challenge, and and what's likely to happen there is your ideal buyer is likely a, a fairly larger firm. If your buyer is a larger firm, then you've got to make sure the fee quality is going to be attractive for a larger firm. If the fee quality is not there, then probably going to have to sell on some sort of earnout basis, which is not very attractive. Gotcha. If he could pick up some extra staff and let some staff go with that book that's familiar with those clients, he probably... That might be the smarter strategy to get his investment back is, is if he can build a new team to go after the new niche and, and ramp that up and stabilize the other and just sell it with staff. That would be probably the smart strategy. Unless the opportunity, unless the opportunity cost was so high, it just didn't matter. Oh, interesting. We just, yeah. Sorry. We just had a client that did something similar. Okay. But he had not bought it recently. He built it, you know, over time. It was it was his practice, but he sold it without employees to go after a particular niche. So for clarity, are you saying bring in new staff to work on the new niche? Keep those staff as you go in the direction of the niche, the niched staff if you will. And then if you can, let the pre-existing staff that were tied to the pre-existing standalone 1040s go in the sale correct to a regional firm with high quality fees or maybe you know if if it goes with staff then you're opening yourself up to more buyers other other buyers maybe individual buyers gotcha. um, or small firm buyers that don't it's the capacity issue yep. most small firms are not going to have a lot of capacity whereas a larger firm would have the capacity yeah much less for 500 clients if you're a small firm right Let's talk about staff because it is an issue. You mentioned at the top that 
some amount of buyers were weighting more heavily than previously the value of the staff that are bundled into the whole package. What are they looking for in staff? Are they looking for kind of any old warm bodies that can get the job done? Or are they looking for a certain level of, you know, junior accountant, senior accountant, somebody who's super green? Are they looking for a cohesive office? Like, what do they have their eyes on? Uh, I would say longevity. Like, you want to see most of the staff having been there for a while, maybe five years plus. If you have a couple of new staff, that's normal. But but like your your key people have been there a while. Ideally, you've got a non-solicitation agreement in place with staff or even a non-compete agreement in place with staff. That's assignable. I always say you know, the caveat is it needs to be having a signability clause. So if you're listening and you're thinking about selling in 10 years, one of the best things you can do is go to your existing staff or when you make new hires, just make that part of the a condition of hiring that they sign a, a non-compete or non-solicitation. Now, the non-compete enforceability is going to vary from state to state or province to province, but non-solicitation will hold up pretty well, meaning you can't solicit clients and you can't solicit other staff to come follow you somewhere. Mm-hmm. That That's pretty enforceable. So that's a really good protection for the buyer. Sometimes there's a lot of underutilized talent in a practice, meaning you've got highly competent tax CPAs, for example, that are doing lower level work. So a buyer could come in and say, hey, I can take this work off of this person and then I could get them to do more of the planning and more of the high level tax work that's higher value. So there's like a there's an opportunity to, to increase somebody's value. That's always attractive. We're just, you know, what we do when we sell firms is we just look for those those hidden opportunities and try to highlight that so that it resonates with the buyer who needs that or that fits with the practice that the acquiring practice. And what about the value of somebody in tax who's in their sunset years? The buyer's going to wonder how much time they have with that person. And so there might be some questions around that, like how much longer does this person want to keep working? And I'd say most buyers are comfortable if if the person seems to be content for two or three years. But a lot of times a a seller will know that someone's going to leave with them. Sometimes they want to leave together. And that's a challenge. So for folks who are listening, who are thinking about either buying something, acquiring in order to grow, or selling something because they're ready to be done in five years or three, what are the things that they most want to be looking for? So if you're selling, if you want to sell in three to five years, it's smart to get an understanding of how much the practice is worth. Is this what the number that you want? Is this the number that you need to exit? And we've got a, a succession planning guide that's something that you can share um, in the show notes. It's, it's it's um, a pretty comprehensive guide about like helping people understand their timetable. Um, that's a that's a really important thing. That it's the first decision. It's sometimes the toughest decision for people who are thinking about selling. It's like when do I do that? And it, it's it's usually not a financial decision. It's usually a, just a very personal decision on on when to go. Let's say you're committed to going at a, within that range, that three to five year range. 
Find out what the practice is worth. Maybe it's okay. Maybe you're fine just to continue the way you are and then you sell it when you're ready to sell it. Or if you're not happy with that number, then you start to think about ways to make that number go up. What can you do? You know, the funny thing is it's usually not that difficult to, to for us to see it because we're not tied to it. It's not ours. Uh, price is a big one. Pruning is a big one. But the other thing is, is shoring up staff. That's also something that can be important. I have seen people have staff they knew, weren't doing a great job and were kind of a, a drag on the team. Hope, yeah, they just didn't do anything about it for one reason or another. Sometimes those cleanups are really important. Just go ahead and um, let people go if that's what needs to happen. Because any disruption, you want to have the disruption behind you when you go to market. Well in the past. Yeah, so that it's not going to sneak up on you. Another really one that sometimes people overlook is look at your big client. Like Who's your biggest client? You're three, five years away from selling. Look at the margin on that big client. Is it really worth it? Is is what you're putting out, you know, is what you're putting up with or your team is dealing with, is it really worth worth it? Because buyers do, that's a risk to a buyer. Like if, let's say you got a client that's 15, 20% of your total revenue, a buyer's going to look at that and say, well, that's a lot of risk. If that client leaves, then that's going to really hit things hard. So what we see a lot of times is those margins are not all that great. If you're three to five years out, and let's say you let that client go, then you'll fill it back up with better work pretty quickly. And then your practice is more valuable and more saleable. Interesting. All right, last question here as we wrap up. If you had one piece of advice to give accountants now to make changes in their firm so that three to five years down the line, or even if they're not planning to sell, what do you think it would be? For most people, it's pricing because it just ripples throughout the whole practice. So get your pricing in order. Focus on pricing. Makes a lot of things so much easier. If you're not happy with your practice, just keep raising your prices until you're happy with your practice. (laughs) (laughs) So good. You have a ton of resources and you have Accounting Practice Academy. If people want to avail themselves of those things, find out more, where can they do that? You can go to pogroupadvisors.com and you can just go to our resources tab. And we actually have a new book coming out called How to Prepare Your CPA Firm for a Sale. You can pre-order that now on our website, and that's at pogroupadvisors.com backslash prepare. And the book should come out in about a month from this recording. We will link to all those things in the show notes. Brandon Poe, thank you so much for coming on the Business Strategy for CPAs podcast. Thank you for having me, Geraldine. It's been been fun, as as always. always. Hi again. Would you rather spend your weekends outside playing or at your desk? In Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind, we put an end to overworking while maintaining revenue. Registration is open now, but it won't be for long. Go to GeraldineCarter.com now to enroll today.